Now shut up, cut it out. There were a lot of details that never came out. You're tearing me apart. You, you say one thing, he says another, and everybody changes back again. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're going back to more stories of my childhood. Not that I haven't talked about my childhood in the past, it's just that, well, we did a question of the day in the Discord this week. And it was, what thing from your childhood did you worry about when you were a kid that turned out to be not such a big deal? And for me, it was a couple of things. It was quicksand, because in Tarzan movies, in Lost in Space, people were getting caught in quicksand all the time. And I figured, well, there must be quicksand everywhere. I better be careful. Turns out, not so much quicksand. And the other thing was amnesia. And amnesia is still around on TV and in the movies. Not so much in real life. I mean, yes, I've read about cases of people having short-term memory loss, and occasionally somebody coming up and not remembering their name or where they're from, but it's always like an anecdote in the newspaper or on the internet. In real life, I've never known anybody to lose their memory. Getting hit on the head doesn't cause you to lose your identity as far as I know. But when I was a kid, I worried about it. Oh, if I get hit in the head, I'll forget who I am. I'll forget where I live. So that question kind of got me thinking about the opposite, stuff we didn't worry about when I was a kid, that we all worry about now. I mean, quicksand was a big thing back then, but you know what? Childproofing wasn't, and I'll talk more about that in a second, but that's what this episode is about. It's about the stuff that we didn't worry about when I was a kid. Parents didn't worry about it. Kids didn't worry about it. It was just life. My life when I grew up was way different than it was for my kids or for kids being brought up right now. And so that's what I'm going to talk about today. Childproofing is the first thing that popped into my head, because when my kids were little, I didn't know what childproofing was. I had no idea. I mean, in the house that I grew up in, all of the kitchen cabinets had sharp corners. There were no child locks on any cabinet doors. All of the household chemicals were under the sink. If we needed Ajax scrubbing cleanser, that's where we went. We could also get Spick and Span and Mr. Clean under there. It was all kept there, and we knew where it was. There weren't any childproof lids. What kept us from sprinkling Ajax on our breakfast cereal? Well, mom and dad told us, don't sprinkle Ajax on your breakfast cereal. And we learned. We learned to listen and not do stupid things like sprinkle Ajax on your breakfast cereal. There was no childproofing of cabinets when I was growing up. There was no childproofing of electric sockets when I was growing up. Now, there probably should have been, because I'll tell you, one of my earliest memories was actually putting something in the electric socket. Yes, I did. I remember it. Certain things from your childhood you remember. That's one of them. Now, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was. I think that it was a diaper pin, although it could have been one of my mother's bobby pins. I'm not sure which. But I'm the textbook example of why we do childproof electric sockets. Because I put stuff in it. And yes, I did get a shock. It didn't kill me, obviously. But it did teach me a lesson. Don't put stuff in the electric socket. Another thing that was not a concern back when I was growing up was putting the 12-year-old in charge. Nowadays, if you come upon a house where the 12-year-old answers the door and there's nobody responsible aside from the 12-year-old, you call children's services. When I was 12, I was watching my brother and sister. That's the way it was. Well, you're old enough. Oh, yeah, it was no problem. If mom and dad had to go out to the store, well, take care of your brother and sister. And I got in trouble because I was 12, my friends were outside, and I said, well, they'll be safe. I'm just across the street. And I went out to play with my friends. And mom and dad came home before I got home and found out that I was across the street playing with friends instead of watching my brother and sister. And of course, my response was, 
Well, I was watching them. They were fine when I left. So I was grounded for a week, but never relieved of the duty of watching my brother and sister. I just learned to watch them better. But mom and dad had no problem leaving me in charge. My brother and sister had a problem with that, but not mom and dad. Another thing that was never worried about was walking to school and walking home from school, too. Now, we didn't live just across the street from the school. The grade school I went to, and I'm talking grade school, grades one through four, the grade school that I went to was about three quarters of a mile from the house. Now, when I say that three quarters of a mile, that doesn't sound long. And it was on the same road that our house was on, but it was three quarters of a mile. And I was eight, maybe nine years old. If you walk three quarters of a mile at a fast pace, it'll probably take you between 10 and 15 minutes. Now imagine that these days. Parents these days step out on the front porch and watch their kids cross the street if they happen to live across the street from the school and watch them every step of the way. If they don't live across from the school, they walk them every step of the way to the school or they drive them to the bus stop and wait with them waiting in the car until the bus comes. When I was a kid, I could walk to school. Not only could I, I was supposed to. I could wait for the bus, but the bus stop was in the opposite direction from the school. The nearest bus stop was another quarter of a mile down the other way, and that was for the kids who were a mile away from the school. So I could walk down to the bus stop, or I could walk up to the school, and it would pretty much take the same amount of time either way. So I walked to my elementary school, unsupervised. There were no carpools. There were no parents taking their kids to school. My mom didn't work. She could have hopped in the car and taken me to school. She didn't because, you know, it's school. I'm just walking to school. What could happen? Same thing for coming home. Mom could have picked me up. She didn't. It just wasn't done. School's out. Head for home. Nowadays, you have lines outside the school, traffic cones, people directing traffic, one-way arrows going to drop off to pick up. It's crazy. It's like being in midtown Manhattan. When I got let out of school... Walked out the door, walked down the street, got to my house. The same rule applied to going to a friend's house, too. Most of the kids that I played with in the neighborhood were right across the street or right next door. So it was not really a big deal to walk across the street unescorted and without somebody watching me every step of the way. But occasionally, a couple of the kids from further down the street would be getting together, or we'd have a baseball game at somebody else's yard, and Mom would say, Well, just be careful. And that was the extent of my escort. I'd walk into the living room, Hi, Mom, I'm going to so-and-so's. And she'd go, Okay, just be careful. And then I'd walk to my friend's house or hop on my bike or whatever. And if Vinny and Ray were coming, we'd all hop on our bikes together and we'd all go, just the three of us. That's just the way it was. Nowadays, oh, good Lord, you need to have a calendar. You need to have the schedule. You need to arrange the play date. You have to make sure you have a ride there and a ride back. Unless it's directly across the street, then maybe Mom can walk you across the street. But anything beyond just across the street, don't even think about going by yourself. And here's the other thing, too. When I was a kid, we'd show up, we'd hang out, we'd play, we'd run around outside. If it started raining, we'd run inside, play some games in the basement. Every once in a while, we'd get invited to dinner. And it was just a phone call. Oh, Mom, Ray's mom said we could stay for dinner. Is that okay? Now, usually Mom wanted us home for dinner, so she didn't always give the okay. But every once in a while, you'd get the okay to stay for dinner. But it wasn't because Mom didn't trust Ray's mom. It was because mom had worked all day for dinner herself, and she expected you home for dinner because that was part of the deal, family dinner. But it was nothing to just say, oh, can I stay for dinner? The same thing applied to playing outside all day, too. And I've talked about this before. We didn't have supervision. I mean, we had to get our chores done in the morning for sure, and we were supervised for that. That we had supervision for. Did you get the bathroom cleaned? Did you make your bed? Okay, then you can go out. 
That was the extent of our supervision on a day. But if those chores were done, all right, see ya, ma, and out the door we'd go. We could ride our bikes, we could walk around. If we wanted to walk or ride our bikes to the general store, just pop our heads in the door. Ma, go to the general store with Vinny. Okay, be careful. Be home for lunch. And that was it. Can you imagine that these days? I'm trying to remember the last time that I saw any kids playing outside unsupervised, just wandering around wherever. I live in a nice neighborhood and I see kids outside playing all the time. But there's always a parent out there, at least one, keeping an eye on things. And I get that. But boy, it's different, man. It is so different from what happened when I was growing up. And I really do think kids miss out a lot because of that. I tried to give my kids as much independence as I could, until, of course, that independence was abused a little bit. Then you had to make adjustments. But I did remember what it was like growing up with extensive amounts of freedom. But I didn't abuse it. If mom said be home by two, I was home by two. I found that responsibility doesn't always carry over to the next generation, which is why you do have to make some adjustments in how you supervise your kids, and even whether you supervise your kids. I guess it's one of those situations where I proved myself worthy of the freedom, so they let me have more of it. When you prove yourself unworthy of the freedom, they take it away from you. As a taker awayer, I can vouch for that. But you know, when I was a kid, the wandering around was kind of open-ended, too. We didn't always have a be-home-by-whatever. I mean, we kind of knew when dinner was, but we didn't have watches. We didn't keep track of the time out there. Occasionally, if we were outside in the afternoon and we saw my dad come home, we'd know it was 5.30 because that's what time dad got home. But we knew dinner was another half hour, 45 minutes. So we would milk our outside time as much as we could. And then either mom or dad would call us in. If my dad had the strength after a long day, you'd hear his bellow from the porch. Gamer dude! And his voice carried. Boy, everybody in the neighborhood knew when my dad was calling. Gamer dude! Okay! You always had to respond. If you didn't respond, there'd be trouble. I'm coming! That was always the response. As loud as you could, so you made sure Dad heard. The last thing you wanted was Dad coming out looking for you because you didn't respond. Now, if Dad was busy with something, didn't have the strength after a long day, Mom would call. And Mom had a good voice, but it didn't have the power of Dad's voice. So the backup for Mom's voice was a set of brass bells that hung by the front door. We had this long string of bells. It was about a five-foot-long cord. And at every foot on this cord was a different-sized brass bell. Each had a slightly different sound. But they rang. They had a ringing quality to them. That sound carried. We used it as a doorbell because we didn't have a fancy doorbell. So if somebody came to the front door, they would just ring the bells. They'd take the cord and ring the bells. But that doorbell also doubled as Mom's dinner bell. If you were being summoned by mom, she'd grab a hold of that cord and shake the heck out of it, and you'd hear those bells. And when you heard those bells, it was like the fire alarm going off at a firehouse. You knew you had to scramble and get yourself home. But yeah, for the most part, we had freedom to do whatever we wanted, as long as we observed the curfews and came when we were called. Now, that freedom also carried over to whether we went to the community pool or to the ocean. We would go to the beach. I've told you about our vacations. We would spend that two weeks on the beach. And we were free to play on the beach, however and wherever we wanted. Dad would set up our camp. We'd lay our blankets out. We'd set our chairs up. And we always had to check in on the beach, but they didn't hover around us. I mean, if we wanted to go for a walk up the beach, if we wanted to go up on the dunes and dig a sandcastle or down by the water and dig a sandcastle, Mom and Dad weren't hovering. They would keep an eye out for sure. I mean, the ocean is the ocean. You don't play with the ocean. And my dad knew that. He grew up near the beach, so he knew that. But 
He also knew we were responsible. He taught us to be careful and fearful around the ocean, fearful if necessary, always keep an eye on the water, but we were free to pretty much do whatever we wanted at the beach. Not now. I've seen families put up fences around their campsite so that the kids don't go wandering off because, you know, we can't have them out of sight. When I was a kid, it wasn't quite the philosophy, well, we came with three, we're leaving with two, that's a pretty good batting average. It wasn't quite that bad. But yeah, there was a whole lot more freedom for us to play on the beach than there is these days. Of course, that freedom included the lack of any sunscreen whatsoever. Oh yeah, sunscreen was not a thing. Oh, we got sunburned, don't get me wrong, but sunscreen? I was in my 20s before I even heard the term SPF. SPF? What the hell is that? I mean, the sun protection that we had was either baby oil or bronzing lotion. That was it. The point of lying out in the sun was to get your tan as dark and deep as you could as quickly as you could. And when I say baby oil and bronzing lotion, I am not lying to you. I remember bringing baby oil to the beach. You would lotion yourself up. You'd look like you'd just stepped out of the water before you got into the water because you were all shiny and wet because you were lotioned up with baby oil. But we also had the tanning lotion, too. It wasn't called sunscreen. It was tanning lotion. The point being, you wanted to be in the sun and getting as tan as you possibly could. That was the point of lying in the sun. And going to the beach, part of the point was to play in the water, but part of the point was to get a really good tan. And over the years, I got some really good tans. I also remember the tanning lotions came in flavors, coconut being by far the favorite, because there's nothing that says go to the beach like the smell of coconuts, at least to me. My father hated coconut tanning oil. Oh my god, if we were sitting on the beach and somebody nearby was using a coconut-flavored oil, oh, we would either have to move or just listen to him grumble all day. How can they wear that stuff? Oh, that smell. Oh, I can't stand this. Oh my god, the griping and the grumbling and the complaining. If anybody wore coconut-based anything, oh, it made my dad crazy. That's why the baby oil was so good. It smelled like baby oil. And that's what we used. The other thing we used a lot of, completely unrelated to tanning, completely unrelated to the beach, but something we used all of the time, sugary bubblegum. It was like the rite of passage for kids to just live off of sugary bubblegum. Whether it was Bazooka Joe during the early years, or the shredded bubblegum that came in a pouch so it looked like chewing tobacco, but it was shredded bubblegum. Having as much bubblegum in your mouth as you could was a thing that we did. It wasn't sugar-free gum, it wasn't Trident, it wasn't anything even remotely healthy. It was bubblegum that you would pop in your mouth and you would get the sweetness rush as soon as it went into your mouth. Your saliva would soak up all those sugar crystals, that sweet pink flavor. And I can't think of any other way to describe it because the taste of bubblegum is pink. When you think of bubblegum and you think of the color pink, it's the same thought. Bubblegum tasted sweetly pink and we lived for that rush. And you could get bubblegum really cheap. Down by the general store where we lived, each piece of bazooka, one penny. So if you had coins floating around in your pocket, you would head to the general store and pick up a handful of Bazooka Joe. If you had a few extra coins, you might get a pack of baseball cards. Because not only did you get the baseball cards, but back in those days, packs of baseball cards came with a piece of bubblegum. You would get baseball cards as much for the bubblegum as for the cards. And some of those old baseball cards still have some of that white powdery sugar from your gum. If you ever find an old pack of baseball cards, I mean really old, you'll find bubblegum in it. Now, it's probably not something you want to try these days, but those original baseball cards were in packs of gum. For some reason, parents decided it wasn't a good idea for kids to be chewing sugary bubblegum all day long. 
I don't know, maybe it had something to do with the cavities, something about paying for fillings. And teachers hated it too. For some reason, the teachers didn't want us chewing gum in school either. They weren't so worried about our cavities. I think they were more worried about us sticking the gum to the bottom of the chair or under the desk or putting it in somebody's hair in front of us. Those fussy teachers, spoiling all our fun. But yeah, back in the day, bubblegum was everywhere, after school. What wasn't everywhere were bike helmets. You guys know everybody wears a bike helmet now, right? I grew up in a time when there was no such thing as a bike helmet. I mean, literally no such thing as a bike helmet. I didn't see a bike helmet on any kid in my entire life until I started having kids myself. All I knew was kids riding around the neighborhood. All different ages, from 5 to 18, never saw a bike helmet. Not a single time. Oh, I saw a lot of bike accidents. Don't get me wrong, it's not like we were careful. I told the saga of my bike accident where I went sliding down the street for about a quarter of a mile in gravel. Didn't have a helmet. Wouldn't have helped me because it was my leg that got chewed up. But yeah, no helmets. I mean, I learned to ride a bike without a helmet. How many times did I fall off? More than I can remember. Didn't hit my head. And even if I had, oh well, just get up and try again. Rub some dirt in it, you'll be fine. But yeah, we used our bikes as our way to get around. That was it. That's how we got around. It's what we played with. It was our mode of transportation. It was our mode of entertainment and never wore a helmet. We would build ramps over the stream in the woods. We would clear paths in the woods and come barrel assing down that path that we cleared, hit the ramp and try to leap over the stream, riding our bike without a helmet. Did we make it? Sometimes. Sometimes not. Then we picked ourselves up and dusted ourselves off. I remember my friend across the street. Before Vinny lived in Vinny's house, it was Sammy's house. And I remember Sammy going over his handlebars, face first, down the street. If I remember correctly, he did lose a couple of teeth, got some scars, lots of blood, no helmet. Again, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing to have that protection. Just wasn't so wonderful when I was growing up. One of the other things we did when I was a kid, we played games in the streets. Now, I'm not talking about New York City where they played stickball. They didn't have yards to play in. They played stickball in the cities. The manhole cover would be home base. The fire hydrant would be first. The street light down the street, that would be second. And the electrical utility box would be third. That would be your bases. And you'd play stickball with a broomstick and a rubber ball. Because that's all you had. In my neighborhood, we actually had yards to play in. We still wound up in the streets. Because, you know, why not? We were out there unsupervised. Who's going to stop us? Plus, there were sometimes you needed a smooth surface. I have told the story about hanging a basketball hoop on the telephone pole. Why? Well, my driveway wasn't paved and I needed a smooth surface. So if a car came, we stopped playing. If we needed a surface to skip a frisbee off of, where else are you going to get it but the street? And you know what? The only yard that we had that we could play baseball in or softball in, it had a really short porch. What that means is home run territory was the street. And so if you're trying to field a line drive into left field, you were running into the street because you had to. Can you imagine that nowadays? The other thing we used to do, it's not going to sound dangerous until you think about it, rode in the front seat. Yes, indeed. As a kid, I rode in the front seat. Oh, yeah, you know, riding in the front seat. Not when you're 10. Not in this day and age. When's the last time you saw a 10-year-old in the front seat of the car? We have special shoulder straps. We have booster seats for 10-year-olds who are too small. We have seat belts on seat belts and straps on straps. Kids do not sit in the front seats of cars. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, especially with airbags now. God knows you don't want a kid in the front seat. Those airbags will knock a kid into the middle of next week. But I remember the days when I was a kid, when I was old enough and big enough to ride in the front seat. And that decision was entirely discretionary with mom and dad. It had nothing to do with my age or weight. I think it had everything to do with their tolerance level. Oh God, do I have to let him sit in the front? I'm sure my dad had those thoughts running through his head. 
But boy, sitting up front, what a rite of passage that was. I'm in the front seat now. I can see everything. It was also a little bonus because my brother and sister still had to sit in the back. Now, obviously, I was only in the front seat if mom wasn't going with us, or if mom was driving and dad wasn't going with us. Then, as the oldest, I got the front seat. Nowadays, you might get to the front seat when you have your driver's license. Other than that, kids, get in the back. Now, another one that was prevalent when I was growing up, I didn't do this because my parents put the fear of God into me, but I had friends do it, and it's depicted in TV shows and movies all of the time. Less so today because people aren't crazy. But back in the day, hitchhiking was a huge thing. Whether you were hitchhiking from school to your home, or from school to your job, or from anywhere to anywhere, it was nothing to see somebody walking along with their thumb out hitching for a ride. I was trying to think as I was preparing this episode whether I would call hitchhiking a daily occurrence. It was pretty close to a daily occurrence when I was growing up. Whether it was on the way to school, or on the way to one of the nearby towns, there would always be somebody walking along with their thumb out looking for a ride. It was just a way to get around. Where I grew up, we had pretty big distances between towns, between places. If you wanted to get to a town, it was a good five miles. And you can walk five miles, sure. And you can bike five miles, sure. But back when I was growing up, people would pick up hitchhikers. You weren't worried about picking up the next serial killer or axe murderer. And the hitcher wasn't worried about getting killed or kidnapped or waylaid. Now, that's not to say there weren't serial killers or axe murderers either hitching or picking up hitchhikers. There were. And I think that that became a little more prevalent as society has changed in the past 20 or 30 years, which is why the practice has stopped. But when I was growing up, hitchhiking was the uber of the time. Back when I was a kid, I had friends leave the schoolyard, throw their thumb out, and have a ride to town. And for the most part, people didn't think twice about it. You didn't think twice about picking up a hitchhiker, and you didn't think twice about hitchhiking. Now, I didn't hitchhike, but I have picked up hitchhikers when I was younger. There was one instance when I was driving home late one night, and I saw some girl by the side of the road literally staggering into the road. Kind of had her thumb out, kind of stumbling around, looked like she was in trouble. So I stopped the car. I said, you okay? And she was clearly drunk off her ass and trying to get herself home. So I picked her up. She told me the address. I drove her there. She got out of the car. I watched her walk up to the porch, walk in the house. She got inside, and I left. Don't know who it is. Don't know who it was. Never saw her again. But it was just the thing you did. The other time I was driving out to college, there was a couple people on the side of Route 80 in the middle of Pennsylvania. I mean, literally in the middle of nowhere. And I came across them about a mile past where I had seen a car on the shoulder. And the dude had his thumb out, so I stopped and picked him up. Because at that point in Pennsylvania, there is literally miles between exits. Now, did I think twice about it? Yeah, there was two people I was picking up, but I'd passed a disabled car. I wasn't getting a scary vibe off of them, so I picked them up. They needed a lift to the next exit, so I gave it to them. Would I do that today? Probably not. The world's very different, hitchhikers are very different, and I'm very different. It was just a different world. And all of the stuff that I'm telling you about, it's not good or bad. It's just different. I think there's things that are bad about the way society has changed, but I think there's a lot of good about the way society has changed, too. It's really good to have the kids in the back seat. You don't want airbags smashing your kids. It's probably not a good thing. It's probably good that we're not just willy-nilly picking up hitchhikers off of the road. It's probably really good that we now know what SPF means and actually use it. I'm not saying any of this is bad. I'm just saying it's a very different world. And I just find it very interesting to see how much has changed just in my lifetime. 
So a lot has changed about being a kid since when I was one. A lot has changed about being a parent, too. I mean, I've told you the stories about my dad teaching me how to bake and my mom teaching me how to cook. They taught me how to use the stove, how to measure ingredients, how to cook. Parents don't do that so much anymore, partly because parents don't do the actual cooking and baking anymore. It's hard to teach what you don't know. The other thing that's changed, too, is other parents correcting other people's children. I mean, I remember Ray's mom across the street correcting us in certain things that we were doing or reminding us to be polite. People don't do that anymore. Kid comes into your house, they start misbehaving. When I was a kid, that kid would hear it. Nowadays, if the parents don't say anything, people are afraid to say anything. I'm not, by the way. You come into my house, you make a ruckus, you're going to hear about it. I don't care who you are. If you don't know how to behave, you're not welcome in the house. But too many other parents, they go, ah, oh well, what am I going to do? Oh, I'll tell you what to do. Yeah, maybe frowned on, that doesn't mean it's not right. You got a kid yanking your dog's tail, you tell them to stop. And you know what? They stop. Especially if they don't know what you're capable of. It doesn't hurt, of course, that I make them believe I'm capable of anything. Always keep that crazy eye available, just in case. Oh, yes, I play the crazy old man card as much as I can. Oh, better be careful. Don't know what he's going to do. And they don't. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Storytime. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a part of things. I really do appreciate all of your support and all the time you spend listening to the podcast. It really means a lot to me, and I can't thank you enough. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.